0: Oh, and thank you for joining us for our webinar panel discussion on how to position yourself for a board of directors seat. I'm your moderator, Donna Padilla. I'm managing partner for Wick Kiefer's healthcare practice. We are often asked by executive leaders how they can begin to orient and prepare themselves for board of directors roles. I'm pleased to be here with my colleagues, Eduardo Abrabu from the National Hispanic Corporate Council, Nancy Alonso from Curalink Healthcare, and Jim King from Wick Kiefer to share some insights and advice. Starting with Eduardo, I'd like to give you the opportunity to introduce each of yourselves and your experience serving and advising boards.
1: Thank you, Donna. I am the executive director at the National Hispanic Corporate Council, where I'm responsible for day-to-day operation, including design, implementation, and execution of organizational development strategy. I also serve as a primary consultant to Fortune 1000 Corporation to elevate the Hispanic talent, customer, supplier, community relations strategy. So I work with organizations such as Coca-Cola Company, Marriott, State Farm, NBC Universal, Shell, Morat Hennessy, PJ Maxx, and many other Fortune 1000 companies. I also lead the Latino DEI Collective, and it's an organization to place and promote more Latino executives in diversity, equity, and inclusion role, primarily at the Vice President, Chief Diversity Officer, and above. I have experience with corporation, nonprofit organization, educational institution, court entity, and government agency as well. I have a master's in public policy from Carnegie Mellon and a bachelor's of science from Northeastern Illinois University. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank
2: you. Jim? Thanks, Donna. So Jim King, I'm a senior partner at Witt I've been with the firm for a little over 21 years, currently lead the board services practice for the firm and do a tremendous amount of work in our healthcare practice. Primarily, I have the opportunity of serving large integrated delivery systems, academic medical centers, children's hospitals, behavioral health organizations, and then we work with a lot of nonprofit, pretty complex nonprofit organizations. Typically, I'm working with them to find their next C-suite leaders and board members. Currently serve on two boards right now, spent nine years on the for Board of Directors, have been off for two years because I turned out, and about seven of those years served as the firm's secretary. And I have a national practice in the work that I do, especially recruiting CEOs and board members. And it's a pleasure to be with all of you today.
3: Thank you, Jim. Nancy? I thank you for having me today. My name is Nancy Alonzo, and I am the Vice President of Human Resources for CureLink Healthcare. I currently sit on two boards. I've held several officer seats on the board's president, vice chair. I've been in healthcare for over 20 years with a focus in promoting opportunities for employees to advance. I'm a Loyola University alumna, and I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank
0: you all again for joining me. And I have a couple of questions. I want to start off with the first, which is, why should executives consider serving on a board? What benefit reward can be gained by that involvement? Jim, I might start with you and then our other panelists. Sure.
2: For many executives, having an opportunity to serve on a board, it can be a very rewarding aspect of their career. Getting an opportunity to work in governance, uh, it's pretty unique. It offers a lot of unique challenges that if you're just in the C-suite, you often don't get to experience unless you step onto a board and serve. And I also think it's a great opportunity for executives to kind of broaden their horizons. I think it makes them more strategic makes them a better leader, and it just kind of helps them have a better understanding of how policy at the highest level is set. And that can be incredibly beneficial to them as they do their day-to-day C-suite roles.
0: Wonderful. Eduardo?
1: Going on on Jim's remark, serving on a board brings both personal and business benefit. Uh, you'll discover from an insider perspective how companies conduct business while sitting at the table with people with different backgrounds, learning how they approach business, influence decision, and communicate. The board member, you're entrusted with fiduciary responsibility to protect the interests of the organization. So there are a lot of unique experiences and opportunity. I do think there are two ways that it helps the executive first sitting on the board, kind of give you that important signal of a seal of approval for an executive. It means that other people think that the executive has potential and value to be selected to serve on the board. And secondly, a uh, board service is an avenue for executives to gain access to unique knowledge, skill, connection. Uh, so firms that use external board appointment as a way to groom and develop executives. So that can lead to a, a C-suite position, a CEO position, and other rewarding opportunities.
3: Wonderful. Nancy? Executives would benefit from serving on a board because it provides networking opportunities, the ability to make connections with others that hold similar positions. In addition to that, it provides a learning opportunity to look at strategy from a different vantage point. A lot of times, when you are the executive, you're either executing on a strategy that's been given to you or you help develop it. But when you're on a board, you can see it from a different perspective in terms of maybe a five, a 10 year, and even a 20 year horizon. So I think those are some reasons why an executive would want to serve on a board.
0: Thank you all. And I agree. When we speak with executives, it really does broaden their horizons and mindsets. And is additive to the work then, that they're doing day to day as well. So mutually very beneficial. The second question I'd like to ask the panelists is really from a board perspective. What are boards looking for in the candidates that
3: they're evaluating for their board seats? Nancy, I might start with you. It depends on the role, but many times they're looking for a specific expertise, something that's missing within the board. So for example, sometimes when there's a financial position, they will be looking for someone that holds those credentials, that's currently a CFO in an organization. Or if their goals are related to talent and talent management, they may be looking for someone that has HR background as an example. So they're typically looking for a specialty. They're also looking for someone that would be committed to the mission of the board. So that's one thing to consider when looking to join a board.
2: Jim? Sure, I'll echo what Nancy just said, but I'll add a little bit. A lot of the boards that we've had the opportunity to work with the last couple of years, especially through the COVID era, they have been very focused on, as Nancy talked about, specific competencies that they needed on their board because COVID, unfortunately, maybe fortunately, exposed that certain boards around the country probably weren't as strong as they needed to be with certain skills and competencies in the room. So all of a sudden we find they're looking for people that have a lot of knowledge and understanding of cybersecurity. So they're looking for people that bring in a really deep understanding of risk management. They want people, ideally, with all of the consolidation that we're seeing if we take healthcare that's been going on, they want people in the room that have been through you know, mergers and acquisitions, helping strategically grow their organizations, so they can bring those experiences into the boardroom. So that's been very important. And lastly, I would say a lot of boards have been looking for people to really echo what Nancy said. It's that true commitment to the mission. They're not just there checking a box saying, hey, I can serve on this board. It's they're really there because they believe in what this organization is all about and they want to contribute at the highest level
0: to that. Absolutely. Jim, we see that all the time. Eduardo, anything to add? Yeah. I mean,
1: again, what they're looking for is to fulfill the capabilities and responsibility with the unique and critical skill sets, some that were mentioned earlier. Again, looking at you know, how to manage compensation, dividend investment, MA and some other areas as well. And then matching that with the hard skills or areas of expertise that that person can bring on. Again, HR, finance, communication, and many other areas. To the earlier point that was shared around COVID, how uh, we're kind of stuck in trying to figure things out. You're looking at some of the core competencies that boards need. Looking at supply chains, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, you know, healthcare and medicine are all those critical areas that typically are not found on the board. So those are in high demand. It's something new is the DEI commitment, the diversity, equity and inclusion of fulfilling some of these board seats with women representation, underrepresented groups and other areas that affect the business as well.
0: Absolutely, Eduardo. And as I think about that, natural question comes after that is based upon all those specific competencies and mission elements that we're looking for, what does a board go through process-wise to select new members, to identify new members? Eduardo, I might start with you on this one.
1: Yeah, every group has their own process and uh, review and appointment selection process for that. For publicly listed group, typically in the U.S., member of the board of director are elected by shareholders. The board candidate can be nominated by board nomination committee or investors that are seeking to change the board membership and policies and direction of that organization. Some directors can be removed through elections or uh, other noncompliance or fiduciary duty violation. Some boards have fitness to serve protocols. So all of that makes up when they have an opening selection process, nomination and all that. That procedure is followed by a voting process uh, that typically looks at proven leadership, prior board experience, unique knowledge and experiences. Again, that diversity, equity and inclusion component, whether it's age, gender, race and many other areas, experience with large and complex organization, current experience of C-suite, COO, CFO, CEO and so forth. And then, again, those critical skill set, whether supply chain, artificial intelligence, public relations, and many other areas.
3: Nancy, anything to add? Yes, I think the selection on boards, is mentioned, it varies. However, it isn't very different from a process to look for any candidate. It's similar to a job search. You know, you're looking to fill a position. So the process, it kind of mirrors that. And so in terms of preparing for that, it becomes important to have a resume that is geared towards the position that you're looking for in the board. In addition to that preparation for the actual interview, if there is one. So it's important because we are specifically looking, as we've mentioned, for skill set, commitment, you know, fit. So that's how boards go through their selection and preparing for that becomes important. And
0: Jim, I know we've been through a couple of
3: these before from a recruiting
0: perspective What is your best practices as you think about some of those processes we've watched boards engage with?
2: Typically, when a board makes a decision and wants to engage a firm like ours to help them, I'll tell you right now, the number one reason they're coming to us is they want to bring more women and people of color into the boardroom. We have a very good track record of being able to do that. What we start with, though, is understanding the vision of the organization and the strategy that's going to get them there. And if they haven't done an update on their strategic plan, we strongly encourage them to do that because it really gives us a roadmap of the talent that's going to be needed at a board level, partnering with the C-suite to get them there. And then what we do is we work with them to understand the talent that's in the room and what are the various skills and competencies that they have. And then we see where there are gaps. And once we understand the gaps, we typically will work with like a nominating or a governance committee and we'll hone in on certain profiles of certain skills and talents that we've talked about earlier that are going to be needed in the boardroom, but with a very team focus on finding women and people of color that bring those skills and talents uh, into the boardroom.
0: And I would say as we evaluate candidates, and I want to talk a little bit about how those candidates then sort of tee themselves up for those roles, so many of their questions become Why me? What do I bring to the table? And it requires so much clarity from the board side as well to articulate that. Nancy, to your point, this is very much a recruit in many ways. And so they're making sure that each other is sort of you know aligned and engaged on the same common purpose as to why they would invest their time right within a board seat. What would you give advice, counsel, Jim? I'll start with you on how to position yourself for a board seat if anyone listening is interested in pivoting in that direction.
2: I think the most important thing any potential board candidate can do really comes down to building your personal brand. And when you think about what is the personal brand, it's kind of like I've heard, uh, I've actually heard our CEO say this, (laughs) you know, it's think about when you walk out of a room, what do you want people to think about you, to say about you? So you have to be very thoughtful in how you shape your personal brand. You need to make sure that you're seen as a person that is you know, highly visible, respected in their field, ways that you do that, you work on thought leadership to help position you. And also, when you're going to comment on a topic, make sure that you're not bringing opinions, but you're actually bringing you know well thought out, researched comments on the issue that will set you apart and will help position you to truly be seen as a thought leader on that particular topic. I also think it's important, get out and have opportunities to speak in public so people begin to see you and can start to see you in the light of, this could be a potential board of director member for us. I also think as you're shaping your personal brand, you need to make it really clear, what do you bring to the table? What are those skills, those competencies that differentiate you? And where can you add value to that particular board? And then lastly, I think as you shape the brand, you need to be able to show boards, whether it's a nonprofit board or a for-profit board, you need to show them, you know, where are your interests outside of work? Where are places that you go to volunteer? And And I tell a lot of people that are looking to get on a board for the first time, Are you volunteering at church, at your synagogue or, you know, at the mosque? Are you going back to your alma mater and are you volunteering there? There's lots of opportunities to get involved in what I'll call kind of like the minor leagues of boards where you can go back to your university and there's an opportunity as a leader to serve like on an advisory board for maybe the college that you graduated from. Wonderful training ground just to kind of get your feet wet on governance. But it shows you're stepping up, volunteering, and I think helps shape your brand to position you to start to be seen to be on some more prominent boards, if you will. And So I think Jim
1: laid out a great foundation, a great plan for folks who are interested in serving on board. I think the personal brand is critical, promoting yourself, really announcing contribution and value that you have to bring to that. And, And the thought leadership, public articles, conferences, things like that really help elevate who you are and your intent, too, of serving on a board. And then we're looking for ways to either start at the minor league if you're a manager, director or VP on you know, local community board, nonprofit board, and as you weigh up. So it's never too early to start building that board service resume in conjunction to your career resume as well. And you have to put in the work. You have to build relationships, do your outreach and reach out to folks that one day you want to be in those roles or they can serve as a mentor or a sponsor or someone that can connect you to that world of executive leadership and with respect to the board side of things. I think developing a specialty, it's also critical what you bring to the table and then building with critical topics, again, artificial intelligence, machine learning, digital transformation, customer related stuff as we do more e-commerce and things like that. And building a community for yourself, an organization like the National Association for Corporate Directors, they have resources, training, development, events, the network. So the more you put yourself in a position to win, the closer you'll be able to get that corporate board position that you're looking for. And last but not least, don't just take the first opportunity, really investigate where they wanna go, are you part of that journey? Does it align with your core value? And can you contribute at the appropriate position and so forth? So really do your homework out there, ask a lot of questions, and figure out if it's the right fit for you as well.
0: It's absolutely a two-way street, right, Eduardo, and to become prepared as much as you can to do the recruit. Uh, Nancy, is there anything you'd add?
3: I would just echo that if you are looking for a board seat, that you really take a look at the position. Being aligned with what you represent and what your personal brand is. Because if you just take a board seat just to take it, you may not have as much fun. In the end, all of this is career building and giving back to the community, but you've got to have fun as well.
0: Absolutely. I think, especially with the investment in time, right, and energy, you want to make sure it's something that fills your soul, fills your heart, and where you're going to be spending that time. I'd like to ask just a couple of additional questions. And one strikes me, Nancy, I think you mentioned this feels very similar in some ways to recruiting when you're in an organization, and there are absolutely some similarities, but I know there can also be differences, right? As you're evaluating an individual for your board versus sort of an individual that you're hiring into your team, I'll just reach this out to all three panelists, but is there any best practice that you can give to organizations as they sort of differentiate process and evaluation and looking at a board member versus what they might ask or evaluate if they're looking at an
3: employee. Many times when you're looking for an employee, of course, it's a paid position and really a board position, you're looking for not only the commitment of time, but also there might be a second component to this, which would also be a financial investment in the organization. You're looking not only for the commitment, but also their willingness to put in the time and the financial commitment. So that's a little different than hiring. Exactly.
2: One of the things that when we're talking to board candidates, it's very different than recruiting a C-suite executive. You often get one opportunity to approach that board candidate and talk to them about this opportunity to serve on a board. So typically what we try to do is find a candidate that matches up with what the client's looking for. And then we want to go talk to, you know, usually it's the board chair, the CEO, and say, here's a profile. Is this something that fits what we've been talking about. And if they seem to have some interest, then we go back, have a much more in-depth conversation with them. And if that all goes well, then we recommend the very first conversation that that board candidate has is really with the CEO and the board chair together. Kind of spend an hour, try each other on for size, kind of get that fit right, if you will. And if that goes well, then expose them to a broader audience on the board as well as in the C-suite. So it is a little different than if you were recruiting, you know, just an executive.
0: Is there an ideal time or I imagine some organizations are thinking, how long does this take? So is there a general sense of how long this might take or is it recruit by recruit?
2: I can tell you on average, most of the board searches we do, they're somewhere between three to four months. A lot of it just depends on when the search gets launched. And what we find is, especially when we're working to develop women and people of color in our candidate pool, if we're talking to them, lots of other organizations are talking with them. It's sometimes harder to get their attention. It just takes a little bit of time. But on average, I'm seeing about 90 to 120 days. because You don't have to relocate. That's the nice thing.
0: (laughs) That's another difference, usually. Uh, Although in this market, sometimes you don't have to anyway. One question, just general, and I know, again, this is going to be specific to boards, Is there an ideal number, too big, too small for board members? Is there an ideal term limit or are there any sort of best hygiene, so to speak, for boards that any of you can recommend or have seen that you would pass along?
3: It just depends because there's different types of boards and it would just depend. I don't think that there is a one size fits all. Smaller boards tend to be a little more focused. Larger boards divide out into Uh committees and then have areas of focus, so they kind of divide and conquer. I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. It depends. On the structure? Yep.
2: We see a lot of our nonprofit clients, the boards tend to be a little larger because a lot of them, are. they call it the pay to play, but they're literally, part of it is they're giving philanthropically to the organization. They're also helping bring additional philanthropic dollars in, so they want a larger board. With some of the smaller, what I'll call, we work with some private equity backed, Organizations, or we work with some private for profit organizations in healthcare, their boards tend to be a little tighter. They might be seven members, much more strategic focused. They're not there to give philanthropically or anything. It's really around the business.
0: Eduardo, anything you would add? I know you've seen many of these, and again, so much of it can be unique to the organization, et cetera, but anything else you would add on that?
1: Yeah, just echo what, what previously said. I mean, it's mostly what makes business sense for that organization. You know, some smaller, some larger, some tied to financial contribution, sponsorship, things like that. So really what makes sense for the organization and to drive forward the mission.
0: So my last question, and this is sort of a pitfalls. So have you all, having been board members that, you know, attended board meetings, are there any common mistakes or pitfalls that you see new board members or literally very experienced board members or boards in general fall into? I will keep everything very anonymous, but are there specific instances
3: or examples or lessons learned that you would share? I would say the one pitfall that I have seen among boards is not understanding the scope of their role, not asking the right questions during the interview process or the vetting process, not understanding it, and then Joining the board and thinking that their span of control is different, I would say that would be the number one pitfall. Setting expectations, Nancy, making mm-hmm. sure we know what we're about, so to speak. Yes, absolutely. That's really important. Just to underscore, then it really becomes a ask the right questions during the whole process. Make mm-hmm. sure you have a clear understanding. And that dynamic can change as you have new
0: board members come in. Boards evolve right over time. They become sort of living organisms, right? And how they interact with each other. So you can see if you bring two different board members with different experience, the questions change, right? Or the level of the strategic aspects of that can change just by virtue of what I like to call the different brains in the room, so to speak.
2: I think the biggest mistake I've ever seen some newer board members make is when they're anxious and excited to get on their first board. They'll take the offer to step onto a board because it's a board seat. And to what Nancy just said, they didn't ask enough the right questions. They didn't vet it enough. And they took it for the board seat and they find out it's not a good fit. It's not a good match. It does become awkward. So I always tell younger executives that are looking for that first opportunity to serve, it is okay. And I think, Eduardo, you might've said this earlier. It's okay to say no and pass if you don't feel like it's the right fit. Because when you do step onto a board, you want to be committed. You want to be able to make the time to serve and, and it needs to fit you personally from your values and your goals. Like you said, Donna, it's a two way street. I would add developing your own voice, really understanding
1: first the role and responsibility of what you're supposed to do, but then figuring out how does the board work, who the players are, how decisions are made, and so that you have a voice, your go to expert and so forth. Often we see where to become a follower, even though you're a leader as an executive or whatever your role is, you tend to kind of sit back and just kind of observe and not really understand your roles and responsibility and take it more from an opinion-based contribution instead of a thought leadership, providing that expertise, that strategic overview, and so forth. So figuring out and developing your voice, I think it's an opportunity to avoid some of those mishaps. And honestly,
0: Edward, as workers are listening so much as this becomes how you onboard new members as well, right? So there's, again, the care and feeding of a board, both in how they're interacting, to Nancy's point, understanding sort of where their energy needs to be spent, but how you integrate new members into the board and continue to sort of grow and keep that fresh many boards can just become stale just by virtue of the same people in the same seats around the same table every quarter, right? And so I imagine that there are organizations listening now who are wondering, how do you continue to keep it fresh, right? And make sure that we're getting the most energy and the most brain power out of each of those individuals that have been so thoughtfully sought out to sit around the table. I would just like to personally thank each of you for your experiences, for sharing what you've seen as best practices and learning along the way. As a follow-up resource, we do have a link to several board bio sample resumes that we talked about earlier in the webinar, and we have created a thought leadership article as well that summarizes many of the takeaways here today. Whit Kiefer and Nolly, appreciate your joining us for such a critical topic. We hope this was very helpful and able to garner some valuable insights as you prepare for a potential engagement with a board. So thank you again. Thank you for tuning in.
4: We invite you to visit witkiefer.com to learn more about our expertise in leadership and view our open searches. You can follow Witkiefer on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, at wikiefer wikiefer makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, Reliance on the information in this podcast is undertaken at your risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Third-party materials for the contents of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Keeper The keeper assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the Cause of such materials and links referenced herein, Wakiver makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elements or codes that manifest contaminating or destructive effects. Wakiver expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of. Reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast for the information presented in this podcast.